today we're diving right into it. No intro, no dramatic intro to set the tone. Going right into today's episode, which is bleeding out Zimbabwe, Rhodesia. Today, we're talking about a war, uh, part of the Cold War, of course, that affected millions of people uh, and was one of the most interesting conflicts on a geopolitical scale of the latter half of the 20th century. See, that's the thing I love about the latter half of the 20th century conflicts uh, because, you know, early 20th century and before that, uh, the geopolitics of the situation wasn't as in, it was still interesting, but it wasn't as interesting. It was pretty cut and clear who who were the good guys, who were the bad guys. You know, obviously the Nazis were the bad guys. Uh, but um, now, in the latter half of the twentieth century, the dawn of guerrilla warfare, and and the proxy war, it really gets interesting because sides um, differing in ideology will, you know, sometimes back each other or back different sides. It gets really intertwining, and, and it's quite interesting. So, for a bit of context, right, let's say uh, everybody's favorite, the context. Um, Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, once known as, before that, known as Rhodesia, and before it was known as Rhodesia, known as Southern Rhodesia, is where modern-day Zimbabwe is. So... To the east, Mozambique, to the north, Zambia, to the west, Botswana, and to the south, South Africa. And uh, Rhodesia uh, is an interesting place because uh, it truly is, if you, if you see, or Zimbabwe, I guess, sorry, if you see the, uh, you know, the landscape or the geography of, of Zimbabwe, uh, it's quite a beautiful nation. And it's a shame because everybody knows that today is, uh, you know, a couple hundred trillion Zimbabwe in dollars gets you about a dollar in U.S. and whatever. And people, you know, that's what it's, uh, that's what it's known for today. It's, you know, a, a poor nation um, led by a dictator who goes all the way back to this war, actually. So let's, let's delve a little more into, into the history of uh, Zimbabwe and Rhodesia. So, during the scramble for Africa in the 1880 Berlin Conference, the Western powers draw up um, Africa. Uh, you know, they draw the lines for who controls what, and it is Britain who takes uh, Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, or Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, and they, uh, for the sake of it, you know what, for the sake of the episode, I'm just going to call it Rhodesia until uh, latter events. And uh, it is known as, you know, now Southern Rhodesia. But, um, and they were, you know, a commonwealth. They fought alongside the British in Germany and in other wars. Um, not just the uh, the white minority that lived there, but the, uh, the Africans as well. And uh, so Rhodesia decides that in the 1960s, it wants its independence, which is, you know, an interesting uh, topic. Um, Britain is kind of like, well, yeah, you can have your independence as long as you do majority rule. And here's where that comes in, right? So we have, uh, Rhodesians were uh, an ethnic group of people, right? Known as the Boers, uh, had control over um, of the country of Rhodesia. 
and the Boers, which means the farmer in Dutch, have um, historically been unkind and have hated, um, you know, advancements in civil rights in Africa. You can see that a lot in South Africa, where the Boers uh, controlled the country for uh, hundreds of years. They had slaves, they took all the land, they did farming, uh, yeah, because they're farmers, and they really did oppress uh, the Africans. Uh, I believe the, the number was that it was 25% of South Africans used to be Boers, now it's only around 10%, but that, at the time, right, where it, when it was 25%, in Rhodesia it was only 8%, where, uh, where Boers are whites, and the whites didn't want this to happen, which, you know, is, is terrible. You know, apartheid is, is disgusting. And especially, like, you can see what happens when it lasts on for too long. Especially when the, the government is minority government. Um, you see it a lot happen. You, you saw, we saw it a lot ha uh, happen a lot more in South Africa. Um, where in the 80s and 90s, um, you know, the people were fighting back. The South African defense forces were committing terrible crimes. Uh, it was really uh, crazy, but um, it's interesting to see what happens because uh, and the question geopolitically wise is, was what happened in Rhodesia good? So let me let's let's just go to the war now. Um, so the the government under the leadership of Ian Smith declares independence from Britain and. Actually, the people of Britain and America were supporters at first because of the staunch anti-communist um, agenda that Rhodesia had. And, and it was in uh, the neighbors, let's start with that too. Um, so Rhodesia was neighbored by, obviously, South Africa, which was another apartheid country that had strong anti-communist uh, ties as well. And Portugal, who was also another anti-communist fight uh, country who was in Mozambique. And they had uh, some international support uh, overtly from uh, Israel as well, from not only from Portugal and South Africa. So Britain doesn't like the fact that Rhodesia had declared independence, so they uh, have all their allies sanction them. Uh, and they're pretty much sanctioned by the entire world except for these three nations. I'm sorry, two. Israel, Israel just gives them sort of support in, like, ideologically speaking, and some sort of we some weapons, but it was mostly Portugal and South Africa. And uh, there are two groups that are known as ZANU and ZAPU, uh, both of them communist groups who are sick of the apartheid, understandably, of course, but the problem is that they're communists, right? So what happens is they start to get training from the Chinese and the Soviets and they are going to start uh, revolting. And a lot of what happens in uh, South Africa and Rhodesia in these white minority governments is that when the revolts start, the farmers are targeted because the farmers have taken the traditional tribe land. And the war starts with the forces killing uh, Zapu and Zadu forces killing farmers. People in these nations would have to put um, bars on their windows so that uh, insurgents would not throw grenades in them. 
and it was very uh, brutal, the fighting, because what happened next was what Rhodesia responds. And the problem was, right, this is a guerrilla war, so they're fighting this guerrilla war. Let's talk about the weapons, too, uh, that are interesting here. So, obviously, the insurgents are supplied with AK-47, other things like that. But the Rhodesian army, surprisingly, because you wouldn't think that a breakaway nation that had just started wouldn't have such an advanced army. But um, the Rhodesian army was probably the most effective in all of Africa for a very long time. They had the Salu Scouts, which were an elite unit of uh, trackers, and they were special uh, operations forces. They, they used helicopters, similar to Vietnam. They used... Um, they had, you know, parachute troops, uh, they had, they used the FAL was their primary weapon, and uh, the funny thing, though, one of the things that their military is known for is for, um, not only just using the FAL and other guns like the FM Mag, but their, their troops were equipped with short shorts, which is interesting. So when the call goes out, right, for the war, the government makes, uh, installs what's called the commando system, which had been part of Boer culture for centuries now. And the commando system uh, meant that anyone between the ages of 16 to 60 would be called upon to serve um, the country. And, you know, the older guys would go usually into the police force, but the younger guys would go straight into the army, um, the air force, and whatnot. And so... Uh, the war starts, and operating within the Zambezi Valley, right, uh, a lot of these border areas are the, the guerrillas, because uh, Zambia to the north is where they were camping out, and Mozambique as well. And Mozambique is still controlled by Portugal, but Zafu and Zanu are able to use Mozambique to launch operations into Rhodesia and attack um, certain areas, even making attacks on the capital of Salisbury, which is modern-day Harare now. And so the Rhodesians start to uh, ramp up the use of helicopters and whatnot, and they are ramping up other, you know, weapons development and whatnot. And Britain, of course, still is not liking this. They don't like what Rhodesia's doing because they just want um, majority rule in Africa and they just want to leave, and Britain still feels some sort of responsibility for this. So Britain is, institutes blockades of ports of Mozambique, which doesn't really do anything because, you know, there's more than one port in Africa, let's be real here, folks. And um, the Rhodesian government is starting to uh, beat back these terrorists quite a bit, is what they would call them. They called them the terrorists. They acted and fought as terrorists, but in the eyes of many uh, fellow communists, they were not terrorists. And... One of the ways that the white Rhodesian government went about trying to end the war was by actually creating civil reform. Many Rhodesians, uh, you can look at, there's interviews on YouTube that the um, the BBC did, I believe, in Rhodesia, uh, talking to both uh, whites and Africans, saying, you know what, if we give it a few years, right, and we may have a, a peaceful, um, you know, transition of government, and all that, I, I believe they believe that the Africans would be able to run the government effectively, even though a few years is a long time, and the Africans probably could have done it then. They say give it a few years, and the Africans agree with them, even though it probably could have been done sooner because uh, 
a lot of people knew what they were doing, especially a lot of the Africans knew what they were doing and knew how they could handle this conflict. And that was where, you know, they had messed up because if they had done it quicker or if they had actually done it not and not taken so long, right, then maybe they would have gotten more international backing against the communists. But upon the breakout of the Bush War, South Africa sends its troops to help fight and Portugal is allowing Rhodesians to start uh, doing over cross-border raids. So what happens a lot of times is that the camps of the ter- of the uh, the Zapu and Zanus, the terrorists, the Rhodesians would have called them, were located not in Rhodesia, and so they were seen as like, oh, you can't come over here because then you're invading a foreign country. Well, Portugal was like, hey, you can come over here and kill some uh, communists. Why not? So they would launch. Uh, multiple operations. The most infamous of them was Operation Dinga. So let's go over that because that's probably the biggest battle of the uh, of the what's it called of the Rhodesian Bush War, which was a ferocious uh, fight. And right, so you have these people. Uh, it was the Salute Scouts, and at this point also, it wasn't just white people fighting the military, because Rhodesia was starting to get starved out. We'll talk about that later, but it was a group of Africans and um, and Boers, and they took trucks and disguised themselves as Zapu and Zanu. And some of them have stated that passing them was the leader of Zanu and Zapu's um, car, his Mercedes. It was Robert Mugabe. We'll get, we'll get to him in a bit. And they could have killed him, right, and taken him out, but they decided to go on the mission. And this mission for the Rhodesian security forces is a complete success. They are able to kill a thousand uh, enemy combatants, which is unheard of, with no deaths on their part, only an injury. Now, a battle like that taking place in other parts of the world is unheard of. Like, no deaths for one side, but thousands dead for another is just absolutely insane. But the problem here is, right, for the Rhodesians is that they're getting starved out now. And Zapu and Zanu forces keep getting more supplies, they keep getting more men, and they keep launching more and more raids. The blockades and the sanctions are starting to take place and do a lot more damage. When Mozambique gains independence and Angola gains independence and Guinea-Bissau gains independence, Portugal is permanently out of Africa. And they've just lost one of their major allies, the last one being South Africa. So... The Rhodesians fight uh, desperately against increasing Zanu and Zavu attacks, even going as far to use uh, biological and chemical weapons. They poisoned water sources near Zapu and Zanu areas. They increased raids. And these battles were getting closer and closer to the capital of Salisbury. So in, in the late 1970s, the Rhodesian government decides that it is time to, you know, it is time to abdicate. Um, it is time to go again. Stop. Uh, we need to let the Africans, uh, you know, lead the country now because we believe they'll have a better solution for solving this conflict than we do. So, Abel Muzarewa, he was a, a, a member of the church. 
He was a clergyman. He is elected prime minister. And Britain and Mugabe, who is currently leading uh, forces against uh, Rhodesia, and they changed the name of the country from Rhodesia to Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, and which is a pretty cool sounding country. Zimbabwe, pretty cool sounding name. I gotta say, I like I like the name Zimbabwe for a country. Uh, so Abu Muzarewa, he takes power and he's gonna say, you know what, we gotta find some peace. Let's try and make some peace. But Britain, who is ideologically, I guess, backing Zahu Zanu, say, no, 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 okay? And Zanu says, of course, no, as well. They're like, you guys are puppets, this is a puppet. What the hell is going on here? They were like, no, it's not a puppet, whatever. So, the war, you know, is still raging on. Attacks are hitting Salisbury now, or, or Harare. I'm actually not sure when they changed it. But, uh, eventually... There's an agreement made at the Lancaster House in 1979 after Britain reconquers, uh, I guess not reconquers, but they occupy, right? They occupy the nation because of Muzarewa and uh, Mugabe had both agreed that maybe to have some stability, to have an election, that Britain sh British troops should come back and stabilize things. And this was made in the Lancaster House Agreement of 1979, where an election was held now. Robert Mugabe decides maybe it's a good idea to hold everybody at gunpoint to vote for me. Which I guess was a good idea because he won the election. And this was highly controversial because he did hold people at gunpoint to vote for him. And he takes over as the sole dictator of Zimbabwe. And what he does now is he decides... To expel the reigning whites who are still there, uh, uh, redistribute the farmland, which the re redistribution, right, sounds like a good idea. Sadly, it it never works out because when you redistribute the farmland, it's less effective in farming. So these people will be farming, but it will be much less effective than just having one massive farm, small like a hundred small farms, much less effective. So Zimbabwe goes through a terrible, terrible drought. I guess you could call it famine. And uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands die from starvation because of Mugabe. He also decided to ex try and exterminate a smaller ethnic group uh, of Africans. He killed 20,000 in his genocide. And this is what happens every time I say this. is what happens when communists take powers. They commit genocide. And, and then he plunges the economy by deciding to print money. Making, I guess there's jokes you could say, you know, where we make every Zimbabwe and a trillionaire of a night. What a genius. But, you know, a hundred trillion dollars to be just one U.S. dollar bill is absurd. Right? And it's, it's, it's depressing. It really is depressing what happened. Uh, Zimbabwe, over the co course of 14 years, right, from control of Zimbabwe, since when Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, went from the 12th largest economy in the world and the largest economy in Africa and the highest educated uh, population in Africa to the lowest in the world. And because the Africans were, now that they had taken control of Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, right, is what they had called it then, under Abel Muzarewa, uh, were finally allowed to, you know, 
get this, past their civil reforms, which is fantastic. Apartheid was done, which was amazing because apartheid is just a disgusting system. And that's where the big geopolitical argument comes in, which which side was right? Because when Mugabe took power, he committed genocide, he created famine, he destroyed the economy. But when the Boers were in power, Ian Smith, he subjugated the African population. He didn't give them civil rights. There was apartheid, and it was terrible for them. But the country as a whole was doing well, economically speaking, but was the Africans doing well? And this is where a big argument comes in. And maybe the right course of action would have to just gone with Zimbabwe Rhodesia under uh, the leadership of the Bishop Abba Muzareo. Maybe that was the right idea. But that's why I think this conflict is so interesting because two things, two, both sides were, were terrible. And then they came out with one side that, that could have done some good and was doing some good. And they didn't let it happen. Neither side. And it's it's just such an interesting conflict, especially the way it was thought fought and what happened and all the stuff in there. All the all the details. It's it really is very interesting. And it's important to study because it shows how apartheid will never work. It's a disgusting system. And communism will never work. It's a, it's also a disgusting system. Although not as disgusting as apartheid. So that is today's episode. And I hope it makes you think. It's it's an interesting topic to think about. Of course, let me know your opinions, as always. Uh, that was uh, Bleeding Out, Zimbabwe, Rhodesia. I'm your host, Alex Williamson. And tune in for the next episode, which uh, I actually haven't found the name out for yet. So we'll figure that out. But stay tuned. Have a good day. Keep listening.